Well, good evening. It is Monday, February 25th, 2019, and welcome back for the third episode of District 29's Political Action Committee podcast. This is District 29 Unpacked. I'm your host, Adam Gibson, and we are coming to you live from the second floor of Federation House in beautiful Belleville, Ontario. With me, as always, CeeLo Masterson. Say hello, Chris. Hey, guys. I uh, feel like a bit of a veteran now with episode number three. It's like this is old hat now. Yeah, you're a big deal. And Jason moving Bremer. clockwise. Always good to be back. Jason Bremner is here as well. We are in a post-Oscars malaise. Did you guys make it up for Best Picture all the way? Uh, I didn't see any of the Oscars, although I, I saw quite a few films, and I'm a huge film buff. But Did you make it, Jay? I did not. I'll admit it. Yeah, I'm in bed most nights by about 9.15. And it's a post-NHL trade deadline malaise as well. Cito's here with his new Jordan Wheel jersey. No. Uh, Habs fan, yes. I didn't, I didn't even know who he was. I, I had no idea. I had to look, I had to look him up, up right away. And Jason just got rid of his Wayne Simmons jersey. Yeah, I'm sad about that. <laughs> as of Wednesday evening, last Wednesday. Actually, I just checked today, and we are at 107 overall Ooh. listens. Ooh. Triple digits, crew. Century. Yeah. Uh, one new wrinkle that's going to really help us is we are now verified on iTunes. Wow, that's, so, that's the big time. Look mm-hmm. at me. Yeah. Simply open the podcast app on your Apple device and search District 29 Unpacked. You might have to look a little bit to find us, but you will see us there. Subscribe to the pod to help us out. And inside that app, you can download it and take it with you on long bus rides to hockey games, yeah. commutes, Romantic getaways Ooh, while you are marking. Let's set the mood with a little political action committee podcast. Nothing says romance like Gibson, Bremner, and Masters. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, you can always email us with questions or comments, guest suggestions, things you'd like to see us covered, etc. at d29pac <coughs> at gmail.com. And we have also fired up a District 29 Twitter account. Just go ahead and search for us at OSSTF. Uh, D29 pack the handle. Uh, Chris is um, geriatric and new to social <laughs> I'm not media. That old, and I'm not new, new to social media. So the handle is OSSTF uh, upper score D because BC and A were already taken. I don't know. <laughs> it that's, just created it. I put in the title and that's what came out. I don't know. Anyway, if you can handle Twitter, you can find us. OSSTF D29PAC is the large title. Follow that too for all your updates. And thank you in advance for tonight's sponsors who will join us in solidarity between segments. If you'd like to go back and hear episode two from late January, we previewed the No Cuts to Public Education rally, offered an update on the Ford government, and got optimistic around some of the policy changes the provincial government introduced under political pressure. Thanks again to all who listened and shared that one. Please share this one with your colleagues too. We still intend to record the last Monday of every month from here until the end of the school year, so keep your ears to the ground. Uh, Tonight we want to cover a few topics. Chris will offer a Queen Spark update uh, a little later on. Jason is back uh, revising his op-ed, famed from episode one. And later, our first guest, a new segment, uh, former provincial OSSTF PAC secretary and modern educational tour de force Doug Little will be our first official interview. Doug will share his thoughts on the current state of affairs in Ontario and offer some suggestions for what we can do to protect public education. Uh, Off the top, though, gentlemen, I want to turn to you to review the No Cuts to Public Education rally held February 8th at Todd Smith's office. Uh, We were joined there by CUPE, 
and Etfo, and I would say well over 100 people braved the elements to get yeah, them out. Sure. Yeah, yep. yeah. I was, okay. I was super impressed with the turnout. So um, after this meeting, gentlemen, did you feel A, optimistic, B, exasperated, C, pessimistic, or D, get your thesaurus out, apoplectic? <laughs> Well, ahead, Chris. yeah, having uh, having gone into uh, uh, MPP's uh, Smith's office uh, with uh, Scott Marshall to have a kind of chat with him and, and lobby him a bit, uh, I think none of those, I'd say none of the above. <laughs> um, I certainly didn't feel optimistic. Uh, there was a lot of talk about efficiencies, um, okay. which, you know, is code word for cuts any way you look at it. Uh, there, there were a couple positive things. One of the positive things that, that Todd said was that uh, they didn't plan on uh, going after it being public education. Okay. So in other words, uh, he he message to us was public education will remain public. Sounds pretty good. Uh, that, that, that sounded positive, but what that looks like, who actually knows? Uh, you know, Scott was very clear that uh, uh, efficiencies, no matter where they come from in our sector, uh, are really are not good for us. They're not. They're not going to be found anywhere. Right. Uh, you can't take a billion dollars out of the education system. If you look at our school board in particular, we've already been under three years of austerity. Our system is is tapped. It's yeah. it's strapped. We we there's there's no savings to be found. And and yet, Mr. Smith kept talking about you know, come on, they, you know, they're, they're, you know, you know, their savings there. There's, you know, he did mention the ministry and things like that. And of course our response was, well, there are a couple savings you can find easily and that's EQAO one, getting rid of that and two, and two and going to one, uh, <laughs> going to one uh, public uh, school board and getting rid of, uh, of uh, funding the, the Catholic uh, school board. Yeah, Jay, you were at you were holding the flag. I saw you braving the elements and uh, letting it flap up there in the wind. Let me ask you: Yeah, you coming to that? Are you optimistic or pessimistic leaving that rally? Leaving the rally, I'm optimistic about the people who were there. Good, because they were out in numbers, and we've always done that really well here. And if we're talking a hundred people there, then we're really thinking, hey, that's more like twenty percent of our membership who's Maybe deciding more. to come yeah. out. And Not that's, bad. And, and that's really good when you compare that to the rest of the of the province when you see how many people come out to rallies. The second thing that I'm kind of positive about was the fact that despite the weather and weather, we've always had terrible weather for our, <laughs> uh, our protests and rallies and, and pickets. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always cold or wet or windy or all of them. The Catholics would say that's God against us. <laughs> Easy, CeeLo. No comment. Even between the buoys. No comment. But uh, but to see people out on a day like that, it, it tells you that people really care. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, I am, I would say, cautiously optimistic coming out of that, too. Uh, I would say with my eyes open and my ears open, just mm -hmm. waiting to see um, what does it mean if public education mm -hmm. remains public. We might flesh that out a little bit throughout the rest of the episode today. And we'll be right back after this first message from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by the Educational Quality and Accountability Office. Are you tired of teachers implementing curriculum on their own and then assessing students in differentiated ways with activities that best fit their class? Instead, we'll replace the triangulation of data with a high-stakes programmed list of exercises where students can use valuable quantitative feedback like 290, 315, 
and I. If essays are too tough to teach, just ask for three paragraphs when you really want five. EQAO, teaching to the test since 1996. All right, welcome back to District 29 Unpacked, your political action committee podcast. Uh, for this segment, we want to jump in on a story which has been in the news nearly every day, it seems like, over the, over the past few weeks. And rightly so. Yeah, rightly so. You're right, Jay. Uh, the Ford government's plan to uh, change uh, autism funding in the province has ramifications for both families uh, and their loved ones with uh, autism itself, but also for the educational world sure. writ large. And I think that's what makes it worthy of diving in today. Chris, do you yeah. want to... Tell well, people what's I mean, up. <laughs> essentially, Ford uh, Ford government has insisted that agencies uh, stop responding to uh, families with autism uh, to essentially create a false uh, wait time crisis. So, so uh, the idea is to create a crisis. Well, there's there's lots of uh, news stories out there with documentation um, where agencies are saying that the ministry told them to not uh, contact new families about uh, getting services. Mm. So the idea then is then you have this whole long list of families that are waiting for service. So it looks like a crisis. And then, Jay, you know, you kind of mentioned this earlier to me about uh, then they swoop in as the heroes and maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Yeah, because suddenly you you take away the funding at the top end, move it down to the front end and say, well, look, we're going to double the funding for for all of the families that need testing and all of the families that need diagnoses and we'll solve this waiting list and things will be great. But at the top end, now the funding's gone and we're looking at no funding past 18 for people who need pretty serious care. Let me just highlight from the Canadian Press, uh, this is writer Allison Jones, her February 11th article, uh, noting that families will get up to $140,000 max to pay for treatment. Uh, that's up to age 18, as you mentioned, Jay. Uh, though it will be subject to an annual cap of $20,000 uh, per year for kids 5 and under and $5,000 per year for kids 6 to 18. Uh, but families have noted that intensive therapy uh, for autism services uh, can sometimes reach $80,000 80, a so year. So there's a really interesting story in the Globe and Mail, and I and I don't know the writer off the top of my head, but there's a story of a family who um, uh, will now have to send their seven-year-old kid to school uh, instead of once a week, uh, every day, because right. the funding was cut. They were getting $70,000 a year. Now that's cut to $5,000 a year. So the question really becomes, from an educational perspective, how will school boards manage uh, we know that our schools don't have education assistance or have very few yep. of them anymore. Uh, you know, f- funding based on age and income, which is basically what they're doing to clear to clear a backlog that they created. Uh, it seems very, uh, um, I don't know the word I'm thinking of, but it's 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 like a con game. Uh, I, I don't understand how. Like, uh, I don't understand how people aren't even more outraged over this. You're playing with the, the lives of kids who need the help the most. And we've families. seen in the news on and on over the last couple of weeks, parents going at trying to get to Queens Park and coming like news at news conferences, like sobbing like this is, this is a well, very, very big deal. $70,000 a year to $5,000 a year to get your kids special treatment. And you know, who's going to pick up that slack? 
it's going to be the schools that are going to have to pick up that slack. And now that we already have classrooms that are full of violence and behavior sure. issues that are getting out of control, well, now you're going to have even more of that because those parents have no place to go yeah. but the school. What do you see, Jay? What those funds, what that fund cutting means is you're really cutting the hope for some of these parents. And that's why I think that's why you're seeing the tears. You're seeing everything that their child needs to be part of part of everything, you know, that, that the therapy that you need to learn to communicate and to be part of the world that's all around them. And when you start to take that away from someone, you're really limiting somebody to a very small world. And I, I can't even, I'm so upset. I can't even on the question of education, the Ontario Public School Boards Association uh, said in that same article that schools will do their best to serve every child, um, but they just need more in special education funding. Um, their spokesman, uh, Kathy Abraham, said year after year, boards are saying we need more help with this. I don't know of a single school board in this province that does not overspend what the ministry gives us for special education. Uh, and I, like in particular, I think of our um, our EAs, our support workers, and our fellow workers in QP who are already stretched so thin. I think of how few EAs we have, and the pressures that are currently on them. Mm -hmm. uh, they're only going to become more exasperated, and that has a large impact on our members sure. of OSSTF and certainly FO, uh, probably even more so. But uh, it has a big impact on on all of us in the system. One other thing I want to add, and I want to hear what you think about this, Jay, uh, is that Lisa McLeod has uh, stepped in. Do you see, have you ever seen The Simpsons where Sideshow Bob gets out from under the car and keeps stepping on rakes and they smack him in the face? <laughs> Lisa McLeod just <laughs> rode through the just rode through the cactus patch and it's yeah. just whap whap whap. <laughs> so, um, the Ontario Behavioral Analysts Association uh, argued afterwards that uh, Lisa McLeod, the minister in charge, and her staff requested a quote of support from this. Uh, Behavioral Analysis Association a few days before the new program was announced. And when they were reticent to do so, um, McLeod's office indicated that failure to do so would result in, I'm making air quotes here for the people at home, four long years for the organization. Uh, the minister also indicated, according to the association, that if a quote of support was not forthcoming, a communication that behavior analysts are self-interested would be released from her office. It is uh, banana republic kind of nonsense. It, it, it really is classic though. That's a yeah. very classic conservative technique. It's, yeah. it's fear. They were it, it, The strategy politically is often fear-based. Be afraid of this, be afraid of crime, be afraid of taxes, be afraid of not getting your funding, be afraid of bad relations with us in the future. Yeah. So you need to come to us. You need to come into the fold and, and play along and be good. So don't give in to the fear. And they didn't. And that is the best thing ever. This uh, of all the topics that we've kind of hit upon over the last I don't know, third episode, and but a year or so of this government, this one seems to have really piqued public interest in a backlash mm -hmm. in a way that I don't remember any other ones doing so far. Well, I, I, I challenge you to find somebody in your personal life who has not been touched by sure. autism. Sure. And if you have any understanding, then you know immediately how horrible this is. That fun, The funding cuts are ridiculous. The personal is political here. That's for right. sure. For sure. Okay. We'll be right back after this with an interview from Doug Little. It's okay. I got you. When times get hard. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the Educational Quality and Accountability Office. EQAO wants to know how you plan to spend the upcoming 25th anniversary of EQAO in 2021. I don't know about you, Chris and Jay, but I intend to celebrate with a warm glass of milk in the annual Provincial Assessments Report. Here I can wallow in self-pity while also looking down my nose upon poor results from poorer neighborhoods. Then gather afterwards at Queen's Park for fireworks and a new graphic text honoring all your favorite questions and answers from years past, like the news report about the snowstorm, the Wimbledon roof graphic text, and option C. EQAO, helping realtors manipulate housing prizes and their commissions since 1996. All right, welcome back, and we want to introduce you to a new segment here on OSSTF's District 29 Unpacked. This is our first interview. Yeah, look at, look at us getting professional and, uh, and acquiring guests. So uh, first of all, we want to uh, welcome and introduce uh, educational activist and writer uh, Doug Little. Doug's a former teacher, uh, a writer, a blogger, and a thinker on all things educational. So welcome, Doug. Hello, and thank you for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so first off, can you uh, tell our listeners just a little bit more about your background in education, um, perhaps both as an employee and as an education advocate? Well, I, I've taught at high school university and community college levels and it's usually about politics or the po- at, U- at York University it was about the politics of education okay I uh, it, your listeners might know now magazine in Toronto it's kind of a cultural magazine yeah, yeah. I was, it was their education reporter for quite a few years I founded a journal called our schools ourselves with some other people okay uh, kind of a semi-intellectual uh, journal. <laughs> Don't be so modest. And, uh, but uh, probably uh, I've, I've run for parliament three times and I've been a school trustee for three terms on the Toronto District School Board. Okay. And uh, I've, uh, let me see, I, I, I was worked for the political action department, political action and communications department of OSSTF at their provincial office. And in my retirement and old age, I'll be 70 next birthday, uh, I blog at thelittleeducationreport.ca. Okay, great. Well, it sounds like uh, you've lived a life where politics and education intersect, which is kind of the, the primary topic of our pod. So that kind of bleeds in a little bit. And I particularly s- like the idea of semi-intellectual because I think that fits with the three <laughs> of us around this table. Yeah, you're aiming for our uh, IQ demographic for sure. Uh, that that bleeds in a bit to um, my next question, Doug. Uh, I know that you have previously um, worked on the political action committee provincially, though you aren't anymore. Uh, but I'm curious, what tactics have you seen be effective uh, in the past in lobbying the provincial government to support uh, OSSTF's priorities? Uh, it depends on the degree of uh, uh, cooperation that's going on between whatever political parties in government and, and the teachers. Okay. Particularly in this case, with this new government, it's uh, probably going to be fairly estranged. Uh, <laughs> a, bit more, a bit more in the in the Mike Harris mold okay. than, than in the than in the 
governments that were in between. So uh, what I find is the most, it's, it's one thing for the president of OSSTF to go to talk to the Minister of Education. That's always helpful. Sure. But, but what really gets the attention of the governing political party is when their MPPs are blamed locally for okay. what happens provincially. Uh, so District 12 in particular, uh, uh, because it covered all of Toronto, which is a quarter of the province nearly, yeah, huge. Uh, would, would put out a brochure in cooperation with the other federations and QP and so forth that would have the, MP, the local MPP on the cover. And it would say, uh, Joe Bloggs is our MPP here in whatever riding, but he's trying to destroy our public schools. And then the inside would be, uh, the Federation's take on what was going on, the funding formula, school closures, whatever the issue was. Right. And the back panel would be uh, what what can be done about it, who to contact, phone numbers for the government, phone numbers for the Minister of Education and the local MP, MPP. But it, it, uh, it puts the fear of God into the local MPP. It's particularly effective in those ridings where the MPP didn't win by very big margins. Right. The ones who have safe seats kind of dust it off, but the yeah. ones who, who won by less than 3,000 votes, are uh, they will be running back to the government before the sun goes down. <laughs> They're going to lose their seat over what uh, the Premier or the Minister of Education is doing. Well, that sounds to me like the way democracy is supposed to work, I think. Yeah, you put the pressure from the grassroots level uh, on elected officials to hold them to uh, to account for you. I'll throw it over to Chris here now. What do you got, Chris? Well, I'm just kind of curious. What, what do you see as the key areas our listeners should be watching for from this government in the next uh, few months? I know there's supposed to be a big uh, announcement regarding health care tomorrow and I'm just wondering, what are some key things you think our members should be looking out for here in the next little bit? Well, the, the biggest fear during this four, we hope it's only four-year term, of, <laughs> of, sure. the, of the present government would be they're, they're going to try to lower that deficit, and they're going to try to blame it on previous governments, and, and they're not going to use revenue to lower yeah. it. They're going to use cuts. So uh, if you take a look at the provincial budget, it's about 40% health and about 25% education, and there's nothing else except transportation that gets above 10%. So if you want to make cuts and you want to lower the deficit that way, you have to really ding health and education in some way or another. And when somebody looks at the education budget, they will say to themselves, it's 70% teacher salaries. So. You either have to, have, if you if you if you want to make an attack on the, the uh, lowering the education budget, you either have to have fewer teachers or you have to pay them less. And they're, I don't think they're going to wind the contract back. Uh, where it's, but they will. This round of bargaining will be incredibly difficult. I, yeah. I would mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's easier for them to lower the number of teachers than it is to lower the wages. So we've already seen the shots at the elementary level where they're trying to get out of class size caps. Yeah. They're trying to get out of having professional teachers in the JK level. And it's harder at the high school level, but they're going to try and find ways to, I would expect, monkey with the class size 
numbers in some way or another, or cancel certain programs that they will say are redundant, that we know are not redundant. Uh, that That's where they would go. And the, 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 the kind of dirty way to do that is to use what's called the funding formula and just cut back the number of the, the number of dollars going to the school boards and tell them you're going to have to make the hard choices. Can you, can you, yeah, yeah, on that note, can you talk a little bit about what's happened with some of the teachers unions in the United States over the last couple of years? Uh, you know, I'm thinking Chicago, Los Angeles, Denver, um, and maybe in that uh, kind of uh Look at what. What do you think the role of, of kind of dark money or or big business is in in what amounts to a privatization of of uh, public education across the world, really? But I know there's been some successes with teachers unions in the states recently, and maybe yeah, you can talk about that just a little bit. Uh, yeah, the, one of the big problems in the United States is a large number of states have what are called right to work laws which really means unions are almost non-existent and those who exist are weak. So they'll say, you can have a union, you just can't do collective bargaining. Yeah. Uh, so you can do collective begging, <laughs> but you, you have no clout. A lot of those used to be contained to the old South, uh, South of the Mason-Dixon line, but now they have successfully spread them to places that used to be very strong union states like uh, Michigan and and, uh, and so forth. Wisconsin, I remember under Scott Walker yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and uh, uh, that makes it very difficult. The the, uh, the 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 Koch brothers and people like that in the United States really uh, they they hate public education for two or three reasons. They think it's a, a very big expenditure, and when it's a very big expenditure, somebody's going to eventually ask them to pay for it. And as you can see that. <laughs> But among the, the Bernie Sanders and the Warrens and everybody, somebody's going to come for them rather than cut expenses at some point. They also uh, believe that they ought to be able to, they, they look at a gigantic education budget in the United States and they think we ought to be able to make a buck from that, at least some of them. Yeah, for sure. It's not the most well-known billionaires, but it's, it's some other ones that, that, are, that have moved in. And especially the, the tech area guys uh, are really want to uh, make money from technology in education. They, uh, they see the education system and the health system as not using enough technology. And when Bill Gates asked why nobody was buying as many computers as he would like to sell them, they, they went back to the fact that, look, Bill, the budget's 70% teachers. So he figured out that if you could use technology to have fewer teachers, then that creates some budget space for them to buy more technology. So there is a kind of a war about how much technology, how many teachers do you increase the class size because you're using technology. And, it, and in their world, they would like to turn it into like university lecture halls with sure. the, the teachers just down at the front, maybe on odd days, uh, talking into a microphone <laughs> and, 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 uh, to 50, 60, 70 people. But they would say, that's fine because that's a super teacher. We're going to keep the really good ones and get rid of everybody else. <laughs> that's the sort of technology billionaire uh, point of view, the Bill Gates and the, the Michael Dells and, and, and those types. That's what they want. Hmm. Others, others just seem to want to make money from the general privatization of it, whether it's private charters or whether it's vouchers. But they're running into a roadblock Seriously, now, they've got most of what we would call the low-hanging fruit, the easy 
people who were upset with the public school system the way it was, but they can't expand into the countryside because of economies of scale. They can't uh, expand into the middle class because they're quite satisfied with the schools they've got. So they're getting frustrated at their inability to grow. And a lot of their growth has been at the expense of traditional private schools. Hmm. So, All right. And, and, Doug, this, and, is, this is Jason Bremner. I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah. It's nice to talk to you. I haven't talked to you for so long. <laughs> I was going to ask you just to, to pause for a sec because you've talked about uh, class sizes, removing teachers, making them fewer in number. We're talking about uh, program losses, funding formula issues, technological pushes against uh, employment. Is there anything we can be optimistic about for public education over the next three years? I would say one of the most optimistic things to me was that during the Harris uh, period and and uh, and the elections, the first election after McGinty won, I guess it would be 200, 2007, John Tory tried a major privatization route, really giving public money mm. to other religious schools. And it blew up in his face. He mm, lost sure election yeah. that, and he had various conservative MPPs in very Protestant areas were up in arms. So that they, they believe they lost an election because John Tory wanted to privatize more education. So I think they're, you know, once burned, twice shy position on that one. They know that that one is not a, a slam dunk. That one, that one hurts because people turn on them. And uh, so I'm optimistic that they won't go that route in Ontario. Uh, they will just go after the public school budget in one way or another. And of course, another good way to for them to save money is school closures. Uh, back in the day when new schools were built, usually half the money was from the school board and half the money was from the province. One of them owned the land and the other one owned the building. So every time they can get a school board to sell a school or close it, they want them to close the school, but they particularly want them to sell the school. Mm. And in many cases, developers want that land because it's well situated for them. But every time a school board closes a school, they have to give half the money. Every time they sell a school, they have to give half the money back to the province. Right. And uh, so that that means fewer expenditures in the future and more money coming into the province in the short term. So they they will they don't want to be blamed for it because they know uh, really smart school boards announced that all the schools that are under pressure are in conservative writings. <laughs> but then, then that kind of puts the heat on them. And they, they know, they know from Frank Miller back in the day, trying to close hospitals around Ontario and, and people almost physically attacking him for it, that, that closing a school is incredibly uh, intense local politics. And so they'd like to force the school boards to do the dirty work when really they're behind the scene uh, putting the pressure on to close schools. Well, Doug, it's been a pleasure to hear you. It's, it's nice to hear your commentary and get your thoughts on things. Where can we tell our listeners to find your material or access you on social media? Uh, the, the blog is uh, www.thelittleeducationreport, no breaks, no underscores, anything like that, .ca. And I do a lot of uh, Twittering at... <laughs> at, J, at J Douglas Little. 
Excellent. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks very much for calling in, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Okay. See you in the future. See you in Apple, Jason. Maybe you other guy, too. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 Have you ever found yourself without political influence when you really needed it? Ford brand cronyism. Make sure you have who you need, when you need them, where you need them. Ford brand cronyism. Communication for humiliation, but only when you get caught. Ford brand cronyism. It's not your parents' cronyism. With rallies happening all over and seemingly endless parades of news articles about the proposed or planned cuts to education in the state of, what is the education state of work these days? Well, it's worried. I'm asked nearly every day, what's going to happen? Are negotiations gonna be hard with this government? Is a strike on the horizon? I think it's fair to say we're gonna have problems. I think it's fair to say this government is not going to be a friend of public education, even when public education is a friend to the people. Any frontline education worker will tell you that class size, adult presence in the classroom, support funding, and a collaborative attitude are the best ways to get the right things done in a classroom. The same rules apply to any job. Education's been asked to do more with less since 1997 when the funding model for education changed. Special education has been eroded with time and inattention by many governments since then, and to say that it will soon be on life support isn't really a big stretch. With schools eliminating every space that doesn't make money, it's a sad testament to where things have reached to. The loss of computer labs and staff working space, when added to consistent reductions of education assistance and the dissolution of office clerical jobs, it's like sawing the legs off a table, and if the goal is to serve meals on the floor... We're well on our way. So what does that mean for education workers right now? In secondary, there's the waiting for the shoe to drop. We know it will. Our upstairs neighbor won't wear the shoe to bed. It will fall. For elementary colleagues, it's already there. All day kindergarten at risk. Teachers no longer teaching kindergarten at all. Larger class sizes, even special ed support. Don't think for a minute that secondary will escape the hunter's scope of inefficiency. The information rally just passed in the wind and the biting cold was important. Most of us ask, what can we do? Your time is of great value. Rallies need people. They are media events as much as they are political events, events as much as they are a way of showing some leverage. Most politicians will look at a rally and say things like, I understand your position, and while I agree with much of it, we have to understand that the province is in a bad way and it needs to be taken care of first. Or if your position your position's noted, but, uh, well, aren't you really out there as a publicity stud because you're worried about your own job? I actually heard that one once. By starving, damaging, or underfunding public education, you do this province one of the greatest disservices that can be done. You weaken its future with the intention of privatization. There is money to be made, markets to be opened, and the price is the education of the next generation. The best way to strengthen provincial economies to ensure that people make good wages, hashtag let's stop at 14, and are not burdened by debt when they start out in the world, hashtag no more student grants. The list goes on. What can we do? As a collective, we must look to where we are, our own strengths lie. Most education workers in this district will give of their time. We had good numbers at the rally considering the weather. Could they have been better? Yes, 
It was damn cold and the wind was biting, but when push comes to shove, D29 has had percentage attendance at rallies and protests that is one of the highest in the province. We are small but mighty. The contribution that we often don't make is our time and effort in conversation. When we interact with people outside of education, we often don't have the tough conversation. We don't bring it up unless someone else does. We're generally very polite people. But I can't help but feel our consideration of the topic is often a little too polite. When someone asks, how are you? You can answer, concerned, afraid, angry, frustrated, worried. It's not impolite to answer honestly and explain why. It's not impolite to let those around you know how things are and how things are going. When people ask, what else can we be doing? My answer is often spread the word. This means two things must happen. One, you must stay informed so you know what the issues are. If you don't know, ask your branch or local leaders or listen to this podcast. Two, be honest about how you feel with those you care about. Are you worried about your job? Damn straight. The working conditions of teachers and EAs are the learning conditions of your children. We find strength in each other, so let us help each other every way we can. Today's episode is brought to you by the Educational Quality and Accountability Office. EQAO's $140,000 man, Cameron Montgomery, asked you to respond in five lines or less. If you could find $36 million in annual savings in the Ministry of Education, where would you look? If you can't answer that, we can place you in literacy purgatory during your grade 12 year, where we will douse you in news reports until they absorb via osmosis. EQAO, evaluating your ability to make kids write in outdated forms since 1996. (laughs) All right, thanks for listening in on episode three. Thanks to Doug Little again for joining us. Thanks to Olivia Lunny and her song, I Got You, which you can catch on the launch on CTV. Yeah. For sure. A reminder to uh, follow us on Twitter as well. We're OSSTFD29 or OSSTF, just D, if you're looking for us. <laughs> uh, you can always email us at D29PAC at gmail.com with your feedback. District 29 does have Facebook yes, as well. Yeah, if you yeah. don't mind sharing your data with the Zuckerbergs of the world <laughs> leaving it out there give us an itunes subscription press your colleagues to get engaged now to subscribe you can download it take it with you all that stuff thank you again for listening thanks jason thank you CeeLo. always a pleasure thank you the listener who make it all possible you'll hear from us again in late march so happy march break gentlemen thank, thank you. you i can't wait and everybody out there <laughs> see you soon <laughs>